just about uh, in uh, Haggai chapter 2, his uh, second message. So I'd just like to read those first, I think I said chapters, first nine verses of chapter 2. Uh, Habakkuk, or Haggai, Haggai chapter 2. On the 21st of the seventh month, the word of Yahweh came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who among you remains who saw this house in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it seem like nothing in your eyes? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares Yahweh. Be strong also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Be strong, declares Yahweh. And work, for I am with you, declares Yahweh of hosts. As for the promise which I made or cut with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is standing in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says Yahweh of hosts once more, in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also, and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the desirable things of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says Yahweh of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares Yahweh of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says Yahweh of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares Yahweh of hosts. Uh, read out of the uh, version that uses uh, Yahweh. It really is uh, striking. So we open by looking at the time, and it's uh, roughly one month later than the time stamp that's in uh, chapter 1 and verse 15. It's now the seventh month and the 21st day. It, it is somewhat significant because some of the other feasts happened in the seventh month. And uh, we see that formula also that Yahweh's word came by Haggai's hand, by the hand uh, of Haggai. This is the third time uh, that that's used and not used in other prophets. Here is the command to speak. God tells Haggai, speak to all those people, the governor, the high priest, and all the remnant, everybody. Uh, we remember from uh, last week that they were stirred up by the exhortation in chapter 1 and verse 12. Everybody obeyed because God stirred them up. We just, we just talked about uh, the Spirit's work. It was a good question to look at today. What does the Spirit do in us for salvation? But the Spirit does things in people apart from that. He, he gave physical gifts to men whose spirit was uh, able to make things, just, just do work, just do labor. But then comes this question concerning the temple in, in verse 3. Who is left who saw it before? And how do you see it now? And is it not as nothing in your eyes? Well, amazingly, there were people there who saw it before, who who were there before the exile into Babylon. Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. So the builders laid the foundation of the temple of Yahweh, 
Then the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise Yahweh according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang, praising and giving thanks to Yahweh, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever upon Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised Yahweh, because the foundation of the house of Yahweh was laid. Just the foundation is down. Verse 12, Yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers, the old men who had seen the first house, were weeping with a loud voice when the foundation of the house was laid before their eyes, while many, in loud shouts with gladness, were raising their voice, so that the people could not distinguish the voices of the shouting of gladness from the voices of the weeping of the people, for the people were shouting with a loud shout, and those voices were heard far away. Can you imagine that? You couldn't even tell uh, who was rejoicing and who was weeping. The, 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 the noise was so great. So there were people there who saw it before. And the foundation is laid. That's all that's there. The question is, how do you see it now? This was their struggle, wasn't it? We'll look later. But what was Solomon's temple like? There was gold everywhere. And, and you think they came back. What resources did they have? Think of David. What resources did he have? He, he, could, he could call every king that he was friendly with and say, I need you to bring everything to me. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to build the house, but I'm going to get ready for Solomon to do it. But God preserved the lives of many. God knew what it looked like. The new temple, this new temple they were working on, would never, ever look like the old one. Uh, the important thing, the important thing is God would put his glory there. That's what he determined to do. That's the important thing. The second and third question point to their disappointment. They remembered and wept, but Yahweh was at work. He was exhorting them. He was with them, chapter 1, verse 13. And he stirred up their spirits, chapter 1, verse 14. That, that, that went through, remember, it. he stirred up Zerubbabel. He stirred up Joshua. He stirred up the people. He, he, was, he, he was active. Well, there's a caution built in for us um, to think about these things. Uh, the first one is it's dangerous to judge spiritual work with physical eyes. We, we have to see beyond. We have to see beyond empty seats. Because if you focus on empty seats, if you focus on, oh, the temple will never be the same, you won't see what God is working on uh, today. There's also a danger of nostalgia concerning spiritual work. Oh, remember the good old days. Remember when God's people were this or remember when everything was going our way. Remember when our church was bigger. Remember when this happened and that happened. If you get stuck in that, you, you lose it also. There may be many opportunities in this day and age to weep because of what's going on in the church, but it's not a reason to stay in that state because God is always at work each and every day, and especially today, the Lord's Day. Sometimes we don't think about it, but the international dateline, they're already on Monday. They've already, they've already done it. 
Half the world has been blessing God until this point. And it's just hit the East Coast, right? 9 a.m. Now we're awake. Now we're blessing God. We're worshiping God. But that's been going on for hours. We have to remember that. Vitality and zeal and perseverance and hope can be sapped of strength if we judge with physical eyes or only look at the past. We have to look at to today. Then verse 4, the exhortations to be strong. And he says, yet now, in the light of your questions, in the light of your disappointments, he says, be strong and take courage. It's not physical strength. He's not saying start to start on a program. He's saying have spiritual strength. And the idea is that we can respond fear spiritually to these commands of the Lord. You say, well, how, if I feel weak, how can I, how can I just be strong? Uh, because if God commands it, he can give it. Uh, recently, I was talking to somebody who, who said they, they needed strength, so they prayed for strength, and they felt that God answered their prayer for strength and got, got them through a, a difficulty. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, and then put on spiritual armor. Exhortation is followed by action. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. We, we can tell somebody, God can tell us, act like a man, act like a spiritual man. Think what a spiritual man is and act that way. Think what it is to be strong in faith and be strong in the Lord and act that way. Do those things. Psalm 31, 29. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. It's in the strength of the Lord and of, of his might. It's in hope of the Lord. That's how we're, we, we strengthen ourselves. God told them, be strong. Take courage. Uh, this, this work needs strength. Uh, Trap uses an an old uh, expression, he says, God does not like qualmy Christians. Uh, uh, qualms are, are hesitations or attacks of fear, misgivings and hesitations. God doesn't like qualmy Christians. Christians are uh, afraid, oh, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. And, and, and that was their problem. They started to build, and then who got involved? These other nations, their enemies. People who said, now we don't want this to happen. We don't want these Jews to get going again. And they, they sent that lying uh, notice to the rulers. Oh, they, they're not going to pay taxes. They're going to rebel against you. Uh, but God addresses the people. Uh, individually, again, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all the people. We have to remember and see in Haggai that, that it's a, a personal address all the time. Personal address. Paul does it in the letters. He, he says, I want you, I want you to act this way. I want you to do that. There's a double, uh, a double declaration in the end of, of verse 4. And all you people of the land, be strong, declares Yahweh, and work for I am with you, declares Yahweh of hosts. A, a, a double declaration. Uh, it's sworn encouragement it's declared encouragement 
I'm with you, says Yahweh of hosts. And if you don't get that, I'm with you, says the Yahweh of hosts. We remember in the introduction, uh, uh, 33 times in 38 verses, Yahweh, 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 Yahweh of hosts, uh, I am uh, with you. It's encouraging because that is uh, God's plan uh, for all of us. Uh, God's promised presence strengthens and encourages his people. Uh, the greatest expression is in the, in the name of Christ, Emmanuel. It's promised and it's executed. God is with us. Where is he? He's right in our midst. Think of 1 John chapter 1. What was from the beginning, he says, what did we do? We saw it. We touched it with our hands. That's how close God was. That's how much God was in the midst. He was right there. Here's the, here's the apostle that's recorded that he leaned, he leaned over on Jesus at the meal. What an amazing thing. God is Emmanuel. He, he not only prophesied, I'm sending Emmanuel, but then Matthew 1, 22 and 23, which means God with us. It's fulfilled. Secondly, it's promised. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, not just to the disciples. Go and preach the gospel, not, to, not just till the last disciple or apostle dies, but to the end of the age, to, to the last, everybody dies, everybody who's a believer. I'm with you till the end of the age. And then Emmanuel, Christ, prayed for it. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be what? May be with me where I am. The purpose for me coming is to gather a people to always be together. That's the purpose. And in the high priestly prayer, that's what he says. To see my glory that you have given me before you loved me, before the foundation of the world. Where are we going with Emmanuel? We're going back to the Father and we're going to see displayed before us the glory that he had before. Well, John said, even when he was walking around, we beheld his glory, but, but that's nothing compared to what we'll see. That's nothing compared to what Jesus Emmanuel wants us to see. I want my people to see who I really am. Amazing. And we looked at this, uh, we looked at this uh, uh, on Wednesday night, Revelation uh, 21 and verse 3. And I heard with a loud voice. Revelation is, a, it's a loud, it's a loud letter. 21 times in Revelation, loud is used. And, and that's not talking about the thunder and all the other stuff that's going on. It's just a loud message from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with what? Men. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that encouraging? Can, can you see past the veil of trouble and difficulty. I hope we do in our, in our hearts. I hope we're able to do that. That's what God's telling these people. I am with you. And my goal is to, to dwell with you. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He's in, he's in their midst. He's, he's with them. And it's underscored. It's underscored, declares Yahweh of hosts. 
Now, the path to the uh, commandment to be strong, practically, we might say, well, how can I just be strong? And some of the things in the, in the prophecy are already there. First of all, an understanding of our sin, he came to them and said, there's some problems. And then there needs to be a consideration of our ways. And then, like them, there should be obedience to God's commands. I, if I'm disobedient, I can't be strong, spiritually strong. You just weakened yourself. If you sin, you've just messed up your devotions, messed up your devotional reading. You've, you've cut yourself off. Now you have to go back and repent, consider your ways, and start again. But then God's stirring up their spirit, and God's promised help. And then the command to be strong comes with that in the context of, of Haggai. How do I do it? You're right with God. You consider your ways. You, you're, you're obeyed. The Spirit stirs you up and you see that God has promised help. It's not just a bare command. And we remember that Ephesians says we do it uh, in the strength of his might. Well, then we see in, in verse 5 that what God says is backed by covenant commitment. And so he says to them, do you remember the covenant, uh, my spirit, and then don't fear. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, and the covenant is the same uh, as what we've been discussing in Exodus 29, verses 43 to 46. I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be set apart as holy by my glory. There's the glory of the temple. That's the glory of it. It's not the gold. It's not the silver. It's not tapestries. It's not candlesticks or pots or cups or anything. I will set the tent of meeting and an altar apart as holy. I will also set Aaron and his sons apart as holy to minister as priests to me. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and I will be their God. It's the same message. They shall know that I am Yahweh, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh, uh, their God. The, uh, the covenant, it was sanctified by God's glory, and the, and the fellowship was there. God will meet with them, speak to them, dwell among them, He'll be, their, he'll be their God. That was the purpose. That was the plan. It's the same plan now. Maybe, maybe you're just going to go and you built the foundation and now all you can find is scrap wood. King Hiram is gone. He doesn't have all these cedars and all these tons of wood that he's bringing down. You can't get gold from Ophir right now. You're just, you're just a bunch of a, a remnant that's come back from the captivity. Maybe you can't do that. But even if it's built with scrap wood that you had to find that broken down from somebody's house that was destroyed, that God's glory is the important part. Him dwelling with the people, that's the important part. That's what he says. And then he underscores that by saying, my spirit remains in your midst. That's part of the covenant. I'm going to put my spirit with my people. Nehemiah 9.20 Nehemiah is reflecting in his prayer, and he says, you gave them your good spirit to instruct them. They were different than anybody else. 
They had a place that they could go where literally the presence of God was. And he instructed them by his spirit, Nehemiah says. And then, here's a, here's a great encouragement also. Fear not. He strengthens them. Don't be afraid. I know you're afraid. I know fear can rise up in you, but don't be afraid. Fear not. And there's many reasons not to fear. Jesus taught or exhorted the disciples many times. It could be a, it could be a study in and of itself. The times when they were afraid and Jesus had to come and say, don't be afraid. But then chapter, uh, I mean, verse 6 through 9 uh, changes and then begins with, thus says Yahweh of hosts. The first thing to notice here that this is intensely the work of Yahweh of hosts because in those four verses, Yahweh of hosts is mentioned five times. And, and we can constantly ask, why does God do that? Why does God keep bringing up his name? Because Yahweh of hosts is the name that, that means he controls everything. That's Isaiah chapter 6, isn't it? Who have I seen? I've seen the Lord of hosts. And he keeps telling them, Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh of hosts. There's no doubt. He, there's no doubt in their minds. Who is working for you? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The repeated name underscores the certainty of what is going to happen and Yahweh's power to accomplish all the things that he promised. I've been told something by Yahweh of hosts that's guaranteed, but now he's going to mention it five times and we're, we're not going to miss it. Yahweh of hosts is going to do this. Yahweh of hosts is going to do this. Notice, notice the promise that Yahweh will do and, and and there are uh, uh five or six things my notes ended up getting a little uh, messy but then he says i will i will first of all shake the heavens the earth the sea and the dry land then he says i will shake all nations and all their treasures will come in he says, I will fill this house with glory. Uh, we see Christ and the temple. I will give peace in this place. Here is the beginning uh, of the Messianic age. We'll see, we'll see later that, that uh, uh, many of the commentators say this is the beginning. And chapter 2, verse 21 is the end when everything is taken apart. But here is all these positive things. There's gathering, there's steps uh, uh, that are happening with the people, and, and uh, peace, uh, uh, one of the key things is that peace is put in that place, and, and that is the, the ministry of the Messiah. The Messiah is called the Prince of Peace, and uh, he shall be their peace uh, in Micah. Micah says that uh, the shepherd leader, the shepherd ruler, uh, will be uh, their peace. Uh, there's a note there that, that you can see that uh, God says, uh, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. And uh, the, the silver 
and gold, it's interesting because really he's trying to show them that that doesn't matter. His glory matters. But he goes back and says the silver is gold and the, and the silver and the gold is mine. Uh, Barnes uh, sums up what, what we would see is, is correct. Uh, this has been the occasion for some to think that God, in speaking of the glory with which he should fill the house, uh, meant our material riches. But this suggests the contrary. See, the, some people would say, well, we're waiting for a temple to be built that's, that's really, really nice. Uh, you remember the disciples saw, thought that in Jesus' time. Look at all these stones. Herod, Herod was a builder. He, he was a wicked man, but he liked to build things, right? To, to, uh, to, so that everybody could say, well, Herod built that or I built that. But it, it, it's not. And, uh, and Barnes, Barnes reminds us that in the time of Solomon, do you remember what it said about silver in the time of Solomon? I didn't either, but it says there was so much gold, silver was accounted as nothing. So God says, well, he's not bringing silver into the temple. That wouldn't, it wouldn't enhance anything. Uh, but then Psalm 50 in verses 10 through 12 help us to see uh, what, what really is going on. Psalm 50, 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine as well uh, as its fullness. Uh, God is saying the silver and the gold is mine, but that, that's not the point. The, the point is the, the glory that could be filled. David knew when he was, he was building in First Chronicles, he said, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer as willingly as this? For all things come from you and from your hand you've given it. He, sa he said, we're, we're just gathering stuff that we, that we already, that we have from your bounty. And that's what God is saying. The silver and the gold is mine. It, it, it's all mine. Everything is mine. But the point is, it's the glory that's going to be in the temple. David understood, we're just building this thing, but it's out of everything that you've given to us. A few verses later, he says, O Yahweh, our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build for your house, for your holy name, it is from your hand, and all of it is yours. Can you imagine that? All the cattle, all the mountains, all the food, everything, it belongs to the Lord. He's saying, I'm going to put glory there that hasn't been there before. The silver and the gold is mine. I could do whatever I want. I could instruct anybody to build something. But, but my glory is going to be there. We have mentioned it already, but think of the comparison of David's resources and their resources. They really had much, much, much less. They were dealing with a devastated land 70 years later. They could only maybe bring cartloads of wood and things with them, but they had much, much less. Barnes, in his summary, says, The desire of all nations, Christ should come, and he'll be the glory to which all created glory is nothing. That's the goal. Christ is coming. I, I, I sometimes... I sometimes struggle with people that, that, that hedge about tithing and say, well, 
the New Testament really doesn't say much about tithing. Well, every piece of clothing that you ever wore, every bite of food that you ever tasted, every house, every place, every blanket, every shelter, every comfort that you ever had in your life came from God. And you're going you're gonna to argue about whether the New Testament talks about tithing or not. That's what God's saying. Don't you see? Everything is mine. I could make this place so glorious physically that it would be astounding. It was astounding to the Queen of Sheba. It was astounding to the people at that time, but it's not the point. Jesus Christ is coming. The real glory is coming. The Messiah is coming. We beheld his glory. Glory as the only one of the Father. That's what's coming. That's, that's going to start shaking things up. That's what will shake. There's reminders about the temples also. When God says, thus says Yahweh, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? Could you really build something that's really that special? That wasn't God's view. Yes, that first temple had glory in it. That first temple had beautiful things. It was made precisely according to what he said. But the physical beauty of it wasn't the point. The point was the covenant. I'm going to dwell with my people. My spirit's going to dwell with my people. And that's the eternal plan that God has. Not another temple. Not another temple that doesn't really reflect the glory of God or the glory of Christ or the glory of Jesus' sacrifice. Or, or uh, you know, you would think people that are waiting for that just never read the book of Hebrews at all. They just don't understand it. All of it is gone. There's no more priests. There's no more sacrifices. There's only one. And Hebrews has that crescendo which says, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. What would you build for me? And, and what is the place of my tent? Where, where can you do it? See, pagans can do that, can't they? Pagans can do it. Think of some of the passages about idolatry. You'd go out and you get a piece of wood. You cut it up. Half you make an idol, half you burn with your fire to keep warm. That's pagan. Acts chapter 17. Paul goes to Athens. There's idols everywhere. And there's even one, just in case we missed, we'll put an idol there to the unknown God. There's got to be a God out there we don't know about. What does God say? What does Paul say? The God who made heaven and earth. Does he, does he need anything? He made heaven and earth. Being the Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. Well, you say that that's what he had the Israelites do. That's correct. But all the other pagan manifestations of it, they don't, God doesn't need that. He doesn't need an altar to an unknown God. He doesn't need an altar to that. He doesn't need this. And as long as much you could say, great as Diana of the Ephesians, it's still a false god. And, the, and the, even if the temple is there that's beautiful, it doesn't really house the living and true God. The living and true God only goes to the place where he says he goes. And that's what he's telling these people. Be strong because I'm not done working all my purposes. All the silver is gold is mine, but that doesn't matter because I'm going to fill this place again uh, with glory. He determines the dwelling place. And then there's the time frame. 
So, so we've seen it's intensely the work of Yahweh of hosts. We've seen the promise in all that he will do. And now look at the time frame. He says, yet once more in a little while. And right away, the, right, our prophetic ears go up and we know when's the little while. When is it going to happen? So first of all, he says what he's going to do. Verse 21, he says the same thing. It's directed to Zerubbabel. I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. Well, when is the about to? Well, we're going to find out. But if we look at this uh, uh, phrase, yet means it's still to come. Once more means it's already happened once, but it's only going to happen twice. And thirdly, in a little while. And the prophecy is found and mentioned in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, but it's only mentioned, it's not fulfilled. So 550 years later, roughly, the writer to the Hebrews cites the verse, but it's not fulfilled because he's talking about shaking everything and removing what can be shaken and what are we going to have? A kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's, what, that's the point. But that hasn't happened yet. So the prophecy is mentioned 550 years later, and here about 2,000 years later, it still hasn't happened. The final shaking hasn't happened. We only get that retrospective look, right? We're reading in Hebrews and we say, oh, my cross-reference Bible says that's in uh, Haggai. And then we look and we say, oh yeah, it's right there. But if we, if we read it in Haggai, we'd say, well, when, when is all that going to happen? I would submit to you that it, it started when Jesus came on the earth, the, the, the shaking. And we just, in, in closing, we'll just look at the two shakings. The introductory one, many of the writers says, is the first advent. Because what we've seen, nations are going to come in, there's going to be glory in the temple, and there's going to be peace. That, that's, that's what the Messiah's reign came. But there's other shaking that's going on. Think of, uh, think of the disciples' reaction, uh, uh, Mark, I, uh, the, the storm in the sea. And, and it says there was a mega storm. Here's guys that were out on that lake all the time. And this, this is like the humdinger of the storm. Why are you sleeping? Because we're doing what? We're perishing. We're in the process of being completely swamped and killed, and you're sleeping. Jesus gets up, and what does he do? He shakes the heavens and the earth, doesn't he? And, and what kind of calm does it say happened? A, a mega calm. If you know anything about water, you know water doesn't act like that. You could throw a pebble in a pond, and five minutes later you could still see. But what happens? Here we're perishing. The, the waves are so fierce, it's swamping the boat, and the next thing, the, the sea is like glass. There's not a ripple from here to Galilee, there's not a ripple from here to Jerusalem. And what do they say? Who in the world could do this that even the wind and the wave obey him? Jesus started to shake things up. He sends the disciples out and he tells them, go and preach and do these things. And when they come back, what spiritual manifestation did he say? I saw what happening? Satan falling. I saw Satan falling. The, the initial shakeup is in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He says, I even send my disciples out and they start to tear Satan's kingdom down. That's this beginning portion. The introduction is the, is the first advent. But chapter 221 finishes everything. It's the end. No more gathering because he says, I'll shake heavens and earth. I'll overthrow kingdoms and thrones. I'll destroy the strength of kingdoms and nations. I'll overthrow their chariots and their riders, and they'll all go down and by the sword. That's Revelation chapter 18 and 19 right there. Everything else gets wiped out. That's the point of Hebrews 12. Everything else gets wiped out. What do you have left? You have a kingdom that cannot be shaken because it's based on the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. The first, the first shaking, it's, it's restorative. There's gathering, there's filling with glory, there's peace. The second shaking is just destructive because everything is wiped out. And the two things, I believe, go together. They're, they're like a, a bracket. Together they, they represent the, the gospel age. Uh, J uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown comment and say, the kingdoms of the world are but scaffolding for God's spiritual temple and will be thrown down when their purpose is accomplished. All the world, all the nations, they said, and they're right, it's just scaffolding for God's spiritual temple. That's, that's, that's what it is, isn't it? I, I, I've worked on those, right? You build this scaffold. It's a, it's a pain in the neck. You put one piece on another piece, and then you put the boards, and then you bring the other pieces up, and then you put the boards, and you keep building and building and building till it's up to where you, you can go. Or the other crazy one, the one that you jack as you're standing on it and jack it up, and it's just nailed to the side of the building. Well, you don't leave that. You don't leave it when you're done. After you're done siding the house or painting the house, you've got to do it all over again. You've got to go up to the top, take the boards off, take the supports down, go to the next level. That's what they're saying. The kingdoms of the entire world are just scaffolding. Brethren, that's, that's important for us to, to learn today. We've seen a lot of encouraging words, haven't we? Be strong. I am with you. My spirit's with you. I am going to get these things done. And the glory at the end, it will be greater than anything you've ever seen. Not physical, but spiritual. And the studies in Revelation will show it over and over and over. Even in Revelation, what happens? People start singing, and what do they do? They fall on their faces because that's the glory that's going to be revealed in the coming of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these things. We see how you spurred your people on. They were so discouraged coming back from uh, your heavy hand of discipline and coming back according to your promise and yet discouraged by other nations, discouraged in their hearts. We pray that we would take these things to heart and be strong and not fear and know that you're with us and your spirit is with us as well. And we would anticipate to see the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.